We're privileged today to have uh, a brother and a sister uh, with us, uh, Peter and Rachel Noonan. They're actually uh, from this area in many ways, uh, educated and uh, they growing in faith here before they went to the Middle East and they work there and they live there and uh, they're lights for our Lord there. And it's a privilege today to hear from Peter and he'll be sharing God's word and he'll be uh, reading. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it'll be from 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Before he comes, let me pray for him and pray for us that we'll attend to the things he has to share. Lord, we're so grateful that you're Glory, your love, your grace is for all the nations of the world. And uh, many in our congregation is, are, are from those nations, Lord. You've made us one in Christ, and we count that a privilege and a joy. In the same way, Lord, there are people from this country who are sent out, who go out, Lord, to do your work and to, to love people, to love their neighbors and friends in many parts of the world. And it's just all part of your grace for all the nations of the world. And we thank you for this wide reach that you have, that you love every man, woman, and child on this planet. Now we pray, Lord, for Peter. We, we thank you for uh, him and uh, for Rachel and for their family. But we pray now that you would bless him so that what he has to share would encourage us and bless us and uh, remind us, Lord, of the privilege we have of being lights for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Thank you. It's great to, great to be with you all again. Uh, I actually look better with a mask on, but, um, but so it's a blessing for some of us to be able to be covering up face. Um, yeah, so as Pastor said, I'm, I'm actually originally from the Philadelphia area, grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and then came to the Pioneer Valley in 1985 to study at Amherst College, uh, studied computer science, went on to get a master's in, at UMass, in computer science and lived in Puffton Village, uh, got married at First Baptist Church, um, and, but we lived in Amherst for nine years. And we've been living in the Middle East since 1994. Uh, that has been home. America is a nice place to visit. Wouldn't want to live here, uh, but it's, it is nice to visit. Um, and we, we just got here nine days ago, uh, flew in uh, to Boston on the 23rd. Uh, and so we're over jet lag relatively well, staying with my mother-in-law in Enfield. Connecticut, about 45 minutes south of here. But it's great to be able to be visiting with you all again. I want to be sharing this message on becoming all things to all people uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 19 to 23. Okay, so I've got this up here. I'm reading from ESV. Of course, feel free to read from whatever, whatever translation. So Paul talking about, the Apostle Paul talking about his ministry, his apostolic ministry to the nations. Um, so 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is a key passage for Christians who are going to other countries, to other cultures, to wanting to make Jesus known. And it's also very relevant for Christians in their own cultural contexts. Uh, Most of you are in your own countries, not all of you, (laughs) most of you are in your own country, but still, this is relevant for all of us. This is called contextualization. That is, adapting our lives and adapting our presentation of the gospel to the context in which we are living, contextualization. This is something foreign workers specialize in, but for all of us Christians, we need to be thinking about. We need to be looking at what does it mean to do this. So, and I have a few questions we're going to be looking at with this. First question is, should we actually imitate Paul's strategy here? Is this just for Paul, or is this supposed to be for all of us? Um, Is this just for apostles? Is it just talking about himself? And for that, I jump ahead a little bit in 1 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 through chapter 11, verse 1. Just a few verses here that I think help illustrate this, where Paul is summarizing some of this other teaching. Then he says here, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So here you see Paul telling the church, you need to do this. You need to imitate me as I am doing these things. This is not just for apostles. This is for all of us. Um, Jews, Greeks, and the church are all pretty different in their beliefs and practices. And there is a lot of difference who would be willing to go into whose houses even at that time. Um, But we're commanded not to give offense to any of these. That's not easy. To avoid offense to a wide variety of people at this time. So basically what Paul is saying is try to adapt as much as you can in non-sinful ways. Try to adapt in ways to give the gospel a hearing, not in sinful ways, but in not sinful. Paul is telling the church to imitate him in these things just as he is imitating Christ. Jesus did not stay in his culture. He came and became one of us. He did incarnational witness. What a blessing that he did not leave us. He crossed barriers, the biggest barriers that exist to come to us. And we're so glad that he did. Um, Now note that he is really working, Paul is really working not to cause offense and to please everyone. We think, oh, we're not supposed to be people pleasers. But Paul was trying to please people, not cause offense, so that people would be responding. Um, Is Paul compromising the truth of the gospel here? No, absolutely not. This is not compromising truth. He's trying to give truth a hearing. 
The goal is to give truth a hearing. Now, is Paul motivated by fear of what people think? It's like, don't give offense because you might get in trouble. No, Paul was fearless. He was not, it's not out of fear. It's motivated by love. The goal is not avoiding problems. The goal is people responding. And so when we are loving and avoiding offense, that helps bring a hearing to the gospel. He's not seeking his own advantage, but he's seeking that they may be saved. That is his goal. Now, I know of some American Christians who delight in causing offense. Maybe that's especially social media with political stuff. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. We should not delight in offending people. Yes, delight in the truth, but here, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. If the gospel offends, that's fine. But there's lots of true things I could say with someone that would be offensive that are not the gospel. And I avoid offense. Yes, the cross is offensive. Let that be offensive. But not all my other opinions about everything. I do not want to cause offense and cause that gap between me and unbelievers. They don't know the truth. Of course they don't. They're unbelievers. Don't expect them to accept everything. I'm used to that in the Middle East. So often people will say wild, crazy things that are completely untrue. And I just have to choose, you know, choose my battles. What am I going to correct or not? And I am not in the Middle East. I do not defend American policy. That's not my job. (laughs) I'm not a representative of America. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what I want to talk about in my context where I am. And and it, it avoids a lot of offense unnecessarily. I want to be focusing on what's important. Um, And Paul talks here about laying down his rights. Yes, it's your rights to stand up and speak your truth. But if it causes offense, can we lay down our rights to avoid that offense so that the gospel can go forward? That's the goal. That is our passion. So, So the first question there I had was, should we imitate Paul's strategy? And he clearly says here, yes. So now back to our main passage, the 1 Corinthians 9. Um, What is Paul's aim? What is he trying to accomplish here? I've already talked about it, but Paul gives three overlapping reasons in the main passage. I've underlined five different places where he says to win others, uh, to win more of them, to win Jews, to win those under the law, to win those outside the law, to win the weak. And then also in verse 22, he says, to save some. Um, And so that's also in some ways a summary statement. And then verse 23, at the end, he also says, his goal is to be a partaker in the benefits of the gospel himself. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He wants the blessings of the gospel, but he wants it shared with others. He's motivated by, I want you to get saved so I can fellowship with you. And I want to have those blessings too in the gospel. And so he is, his motivation is not, not like a winning, yeah, I beat them. No, win them to Christ, to see them coming to Jesus. 
Now, what does that include? He's wanting to win people to faith in Christ. He wants them to be saved from their sins, saved from God's wrath, living in fellowship with God forever. That is a wonderful gift. That is a wonderful thing that we are offering. I do not want my thoughts or my lifestyle about something else to turn someone off from that life-giving message. So I want to change. I'm willing to adjust lots of things in how I live so that others can hear, so that all the weird things about my life aren't this blaring light that makes them unable to see the light of the gospel. So Paul's aim is to win people, to see them come to Jesus. So then the third question here is, what is Paul's strategy for winning others? And his strategy was to use his Christian freedom to become a slave to all. Use his freedom to become a slave to all. Sometimes we talk about, oh, defending our freedom. Well, in some contexts that makes sense. But Paul's talking about laying down his freedom so that he might win others. Um, And so, so in verse 19, so here we see 1 Corinthians 9, 19 in this passage. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul's strategy is love. He is making himself a servant out of love for people. Similarly, in Galatians 5.13, For you you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we use our freedom in love to serve others. That is what our freedom is for, freedom in Christ. So you're voluntarily giving up, like with Paul, we're voluntarily giving up some of our freedom in order to see more people turn to Jesus. The goal is service. The goal is not giving up freedom. Freedom, that's a means to an end. The goal is loving people and seeing them come to Jesus. Um, This is love, giving up what is rightfully yours. This is so much of what love is all about. You lay down your life for the other. You give up what is rightfully yours to serve that other person. And that's costly. That's painful because we're really giving something up in doing that. This is not deceptive. Uh, It is, Paul is using his freedom. He's not pretending. He is using his freedom in this. So now a key thing here is also seeing what is Paul's relation with the law. So back with our main passage. Um, It's important to his strategy. He makes a few statements that sound kind of contradictory and confusing about how he relates to the law. He says, I am in verse 20. um, So he says, I am not being myself under the law. And then in verse 21, he says, not being outside the law of God, And then he says, under the law of Christ. How does this work? This last several months, I've been reading aloud from uh, through the whole Bible, actually for the whole New Testament and Psalms uh, with my wife. And when you came to this passage a few days ago, we were like, wait, what what is this exactly? (laughs) And it it was kind of confusing even then to me. So it's good to review this. So it's basically, how do you keep your faith and freedom and radical zeal to win people and not just be copying people? Part of the answer is that you really think about what is our relation to the law? So that first thing, I am not under law. What does that mean? Not being myself under the law. 
I'm not bound to the Old Testament law for salvation. I do not need to carefully follow all of the Old Testament laws in order to be saved. So I'm not, we're not bound by Old Testament ceremonial dietary laws, holy days, circumcision, no pork. Man, I'm glad we can eat pig meat. Um, I come to the United States, it's like, ah, bacon, ham, sausage, all these varieties. We don't get it all in the Middle East. So that's something I appreciate, that we do not have to follow the Old Testament law regarding eating of pigs. Um, so the, that's an example. But all the Old Testament holidays, we're not required to do that. And also, we are free to go to the home of a Hindu or to go to the home of a Muslim or to go to a home of a, of a paganist and eat what they're eating and not be worried about it. Not be worried, oh no, is this proper? That's okay. You can eat that. You can eat that. And that's a real liberation compared to what Jews were experiencing uh, before that. So we're not under the law. But second, this thing of I am not being outside the law of God. So what does it mean that okay, you're under the law, you're not under dietary law, but you're not outside the law? We do submit to the moral law of God, that that continues. It's like, like, uh, in, like with 1 Corinthians 7.19, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, sorry, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's remarkable. You read the Old Testament, circumcision is a big deal. That is central to the covenant. But Paul is saying, it's nothing. That's not the big deal. What's the big deal? Keeping the commandments of God. But circumcision was among the commandments of God. He's saying the moral commandments. That's what it's meaning. So that's why we distinguish between ceremonial and moral laws of God. So we are under these laws. We're not under some of the ceremonial laws. But we are also, we are under the law of Christ. There in verse 21, I am under the law of Christ. That's the law of love. As it says, uh, Galatians 6.2, bear with one another, uh, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, we are fulfilling the law of Christ when we bear one another's burdens. That's, that's a tough law, but that's the law of love. Or Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is summed up, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, that is the summary of the law. You bear the fruit of love, and as you're submitting to that law of love, you're adjusting your life to other people. Paul is doing things that are uncomfortable. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm not comfortable doing that. Well, you know, so what? There are a lot of things I have to do that I'm not comfortable doing. I want to be morally comfortable with it. But like in my country, in, oh, in the Middle East, a lot of times people sit on the floor to eat. I don't fold very well. It is, it is uncomfortable. I mean, it is physically uncomfortable. I'm trying to practice at home so I can stretch well enough to be able to reasonably sit on the floor and eat. It's like, I'm a Westerner. I like a table and a chair. And at home, I eat that way. But visiting with people, it's like, it's, it's uncomfortable. Or how do you eat this stuff? How do you fillet fish with bread? It's like there are all these bones in it. Like, this is not easy. 
It's, life is not about being comfortable. It's about glorifying the Lord of glory. That's what it's about. So, oh, this conversation makes me uncomfortable? Good. We need to be uncomfortable. I don't want to cause offense, but discomfort, that's okay. So practically, what does this look like? We're looking at these different things, what, how Paul talks about this. What does this actually look like? How are we actually avoiding offense and adjusting culturally to the context in which we are? One thing I find helpful is thinking about it as a continuum, a contextualization, contextualization continuum. Bunch of big words here. Um, this is a great thing if you've got two U's in Scrabble and you need to put them together. Um, so this is like in John 17, Jesus prayed for them not to be taken out of the world, but being in the world. That we are in the world, we're not just about to be raptured, we're in the world, how can we do this? And the tension is between fruitless separatism and between unprincipled expediency. Again, it's kind of big words. Part of this is getting from contextualization study. Let me describe some of what that means. Now, fruitless separatism, that's something, think about this. This could be someone working in another culture or in our own culture. We're, we're just too separate. Uh, we have no connection with unbelievers. Um, you're not in the world. Maybe you, maybe you feel like this culture has gotten so ungodly and the country is going to fall apart. I'm just holding on until Jesus returns. Well, good, hold on to holiness, but then go out and reach the country. It's not just, we're, our God has not called us to withdraw from the world and just preserve our lives, preserve our faith, and wait for him to return. We are ministers of Christ to a dying world. So that means being out there, being in relationship. Um, pursue holiness, but New Testament holiness is not physical separation or cultural separation from the rest of the world in the New Testament. The holiness is not, this, it's moral separation. It's not cultural and physical separation. Maybe you're physically and relationally separated from the world. You don't spend time in places where there are unbelievers. You don't know any unbelievers. It's hard to be a light when you don't know anyone. Now, granted, pandemic, it's harder to mix with people. Uh, but I, I, I remember when I was at Amherst College, if I had a class that ended at noon, and then at noon from, for one to lunch, I went straight to my dorm room. Why wait in line? Go to my dorm room and study, and then come when there is no line. That is practical and efficient. But then when I was a senior, I realized, you know, it might be good to go to lunch with one of the other, un with one of the unbelievers in my class and stand in line with them and get to know them. So that literally had not occurred to me. That's just such a simple kind of thing of like, oh no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be efficient and separated. Or no, let me engage. Let me find ways to spend time with unbelievers. Let me find ways to love them. Maybe you're culturally separated from the world. You talk funny and you dress funny. Or you don't know how to relate to unbelievers. You don't know how to talk with them. You don't have anything in common with them. Sometimes we do this in our zeal for holiness. We can reject anything that smells like the culture. And I say reject any sin, but try to embrace things in the culture that make you relevant. 
and can help you make the gospel relevant in that situation. Um, it's pretty hard to reach people with Jesus if you have no contact with them or you're so strange to them. It's hard to reach people. But the other extreme, we don't want either, where we're no different, where we're exactly like the culture. You're so much like the world, unbelievers can't see any difference. And here, it doesn't, you don't look any, like you have anything radically different to offer because you're not that different from anyone. Now, the bigger problem with this is that you've abandoned holiness. That's a bigger problem, that you're not pursuing God um, in this. A secondary problem is that you've lost your witness. A uh, secondary problem is losing your witness. But now this can also be compromise and syncretism, where syncretism is where Christianity mixes with another religion. You know, that's obvious to see in another country. Where you go to another country, oh, they're using magic amulets or something like that. That's obvious. In America, it's not as easy to see the syncretism in our own country of mixing our Christianity with capitalism and nationalism and certain political beliefs. That's still syncretism. Let's be radically for the gospel and happily rejecting aspects of our own culture. Uh, so not just totally mixed in with our culture, but there's, this is a balancing act. What we want is to be more something in the middle where we're building bridges with unbelievers. We're removing obstacles. We're, and we're the aroma of Christ in the midst of that. And this is what we see Paul doing, being out mixing with people and being culturally relevant to them. So contextualization is learning to be students of the culture and then translating your message and your life to reach that culture. So living in another country, that's your job. You spend a lot of energy doing it. But living in your own country, also work on it. It's worth working on. We want to build bridges and remove obstacles. Like I remember an, an evangelist with InterVarsity who visited UMass and would quote from secular philosophers. Like Paul quoted from secular philosophers. Great, build bridges. Um, and some, I know some American pastors are into like quoting TV and uh, popular TV shows and movies, stuff like that. It's like, I don't watch TV or movies, so it's hard for me to do that. I watch movies on airplanes. Um, uh, that's about it. But yeah, but be respectful. Don't be compromising. Uh, and then good verse with this, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the, a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Some Christians are very good at the reason, and aren't very good at the gentleness and respect. Others are very good at the gentleness and respect, but aren't given a reason. Let's do both. Let's speak about our faith with gentleness and respect, with love, respecting that other person. Now, is this respecting unbelievers? Yeah. Is this respecting idol worshipers? Yes. That is what Paul was doing. He was respecting people that were worshiping pagan idols. He still treated them with respect. He was in Ephesus for three years. And at the end of his time in Ephesus, an unbeliever defended him in a riot and said, they, these people have been here three years and they have not blasphemed our goddess. Can you imagine that? Being in a pagan city for three years as an evangelist, but never blaspheming the goddess of the place where you were. 
He was witnessing with gentleness and respect, but never compromising the truth. So full of love, full of passion, Christ is holy and set apart. We can make a defense in this way. I want to live my life in a winsome way. I like the word winsome. Merriam-Webster defines that as generally pleasing and engaging, often because of a childlike charm and innocence. So being pleasing and engaging. And that's pleasing. I want Jesus to be attractive to people. And if I'm winsome, that helps me to win some for Christ. That actually does work as a pun. Um, And so are we willing to adjust ourselves to be more effective in witness, to adjust our culture, to adjust how we talk? Uh, Do you see here how freedom and love come together? We are loving people in freedom for love's sake. We try to overcome unnecessary alienating differences that cut us off from other people. In freedom for love's sake, you dress pretty much like other people dress, which in the Pioneer Valley can be pretty weird, admittedly. Um, uh, This is how I dress in the Middle East. I mean, not with a tie, uh, but it's like, this is how professionals dress in the Middle East. I don't wear a big, long robe. It's like, they they don't normally do that in the street in my country. Um, But, and like in freedom, for love's sake, you get into what people are into. I mean, to an extent that makes sense for you, that fits with your personality. I don't like sports. I don't talk sports with people. It's just, that's not interesting, but I, listen, I politely listen um, for that. And another thing I find helpful for thinking about with different cultures is in any culture, you have the good, the bad, and the neutral. Okay, it's a little ugly, but uh, the good and the bad and the neutral. In any culture, there are good things, there are bad things, and there are a whole lot of neutral things. And as Christians living in a foreign culture, we naturally focus on the bad. We see it's like, oh, there's all this bad stuff. Oh, we complain about the culture. That's not helpful. Just like in your own culture, if you spend all your time complaining about the culture, you end up hating the culture. And then you don't adjust in any ways that you should be adjusting. So what we try to, so there are good things, There are bad things, and there are a whole lot of neutral things I see in any culture as it works. So how do we respond to this? Well, the first thing is we celebrate and embrace the good things in the culture. So for example, in the Middle East, we celebrate and embrace wonderful things there like hospitality and honoring one another and dressing modestly and using spiritual language. Whenever you talk about the future, you have to say, God willing in the Middle East. I love that. So excuse me if I sometimes say inshallah, which is Arabic for God willing, in the midst of my speaking. Uh, uh, Those are good things. Respecting older people. I learned that in the Middle East. In America, we don't do that so much. How about in the United States? There's some very good things about the culture, like honesty and hard work and encouraging. I remember talking with Europeans and they said, like all Americans have the gift of encouragement. That was a perspective of some Europeans I talked with. They just feel like American culture is so encouraging. We're quick to encourage people. Great, that's a nice thing. Order, man, I like order. I like orderly driving. And even in Boston, man, it is orderly compared to the Middle East. (laughs) Americans like system and order. You might say, oh, it's so chaotic. Visit another country. 
then you'll appreciate just how orderly the United States is. Now, um, now it's a lot of American Christians I've heard say, oh, but our culture used to be that, but it's getting so much worse. Let me mention some things where I feel like our culture in the United States is actually getting better in the last couple decades. I mean, it's been 26 years since I lived here permanently, but racism is a lot less acceptable than it used to be. That's good. That's good. Um, sexual harassment is a lot less acceptable. It used to be, you know, boys will be boys. That's not acceptable. We can celebrate that as Christians. That's a good thing. That's a good change. Um, it used to be that it was very common to mock people who are homosexual. Now it's not acceptable. We shouldn't be mocking anyone. Whether we agree or not, we should not be mocking them. And that's good that it's not acceptable to be mocking people. In the culture now, there's a love for authenticity. There's a rejection of hypocrisy. That's good. Jesus, you know who Jesus really criticized? Hypocrites. So when people complain about oh, all this hypocrisy in Christianity, you say, that is so true. And you know who Jesus really slammed? The hypocrites. He is so angry at the hypocrisy in the church. Wow, you're agreeing with, it, with an unbeliever on that because it's true. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to talk about my church. You can talk about other churches. But anyway, but, but that's true. There are a lot of problems with this. So celebrate those good things. Now reject the bad things in the culture. There are always bad things. Sin varies a lot from culture to culture. In the Middle East, there's a lot of dishonesty, racism, nepotism, pessimism. Um, in the United States, a lot of sexual sin is celebrated instead of being rejected. So those are bad things. Reject those aspects of the culture. But then as much as possible, adapt, uh, sorry, adopt the neutral things. There, this is key to the balance. Like the way people dress or do their hair, you don't have to do your hair like a Christian haircut. It's like, what's, what's that? Like we want to dress and live like people are. I don't want to live like I just stepped out of the 80s, even though I did just step out of the 80s. So that's, so it's like, or like how people eat and when they eat, like adjust to these things. So in the Middle East, we dress like locals. We talk like locals. It was great effort to learn the language. Um, there are other neutral things we don't adopt, like we don't sit on the floor to eat at home. It's just not nice for me. <laughs> and so and it doesn't make a difference, really, for that. But when we're out interacting with people, we have adjusted in lots of neutral things. Um, some neutral things you might want to adopt, like be familiar with things that interest unbelievers around you. If they're really into sports, they're really into movies, at least be aware of them. No, I don't recommend watching Game of Thrones to be aware of that. I have a lot of friends in Basra who watch Game of Thrones. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. That is, that is not going to lead me in holiness. I reject that. And that so, shows how dated I am. That doesn't even go on anymore. I'm not going to watch that, but I'm going to be aware of it and be able to talk with people about something like that. Or using polite language. A lot of Christians slam like politically correct. You know, I, I want to use language that's polite. Why use language that offends people? I can choose to use language that doesn't offend. That's better. While speaking the truth. I'm not going to compromise on truth, but I can choose to use language that is less offensive. Yes, absolutely. Why would I use language that offends? That is unnecessary. Truth can offend if it's the truth that's worth offending. 
My opinions about a million things aren't worth offending. Jesus, okay, he is worth offending about. Um, sometimes, of course, it's hard to tell where to categorize things. It's like, well, what aspect of this? My cousin invited me to a same-sex wedding. Should I go? How about getting tattoos, spending hours every week watching TV? I, I don't know. I tend to shy away from all of that. Wrestle through that with your church, with your Christian friends. What, what should I do in this situation? It's not cut and dry. It's not simple. Because um, we want to be passionate for holiness and passionate to reach this culture, to reach these people who are around us for Jesus. And as foreign Christians, as Christians in a foreign setting, we're used to studying the culture as outsiders. We know we're in a foreign culture. We know we need to study it. And so I encourage you, think about that. How can you be studying your culture? How can you be studying even maybe the culture in your individual workplace for how to be relevant, how to make, how to make Jesus relevant? And I hear a lot of Christians complain about how ungodly our culture has become. Yep, it has. Get over it. And let's get about winning people for Jesus. And yes, trying to impact the culture. But I felt like, like when I was in college, we complained so much. Oh, everyone has a right to an opinion except for Christians. Like, I sometimes felt like we needed to tell ourselves, shut up already and let's get on with witnessing. Yeah, it's not fair. Life's not fair. Okay, it's not fair. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with winning our culture for Jesus uh, and not complaining, not focusing on complaints about unfairness or change of culture. Let's impact the culture. Let's us change the culture by how we're loving people and being winsome and transforming their lives. So in conclusion, God calls us to give up our freedom to lead more people to Christ. He calls us to be students of the culture and then to adjust and adapt to that. So think about what obstacles are hindering unbelievers from coming to Jesus that you see in your life, in your family. Can you make Jesus relevant and attractive to the people around you? What needs are not being met in the unbelievers around you where you can offer Jesus as a solution to that need? How can you spend more time with unbelievers? It's not always easy to do. What are some freedoms that God is calling you to give up in order to see more people follow him? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your grace to us. Lord, what a blessing that you have saved us. Thank you, Lord, that you left heaven to come to earth. You crossed the biggest cultural gap there ever has been to come to us. Thank you, Lord. We are eternally grateful to you. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and show us how can we be following the example of Paul and laying down our lives and giving up our freedom to see more people come to Jesus. Lord, we want to see many, many turn to you. Show us, Lord, what cost can we pay for that? How can we serve? How can we adjust in this way? Fill us with love for unbelievers, not fear of losing our culture, but love for unbelievers and wanting to see them turn to Jesus. Be glorified in our lives. Lord, we want you to be glorified in every people, tongue, tribe, and nation.
Halleluja. Halleluja. Amen.